Well, good morning, church. Uh, great to see you, even though I can't actually see you. Um, today, we're starting a new series called Hope Unshaken, which looks at how we as the church, how we as Christians are to live and handle ourselves in a time like the one that we're going through right now. How do we live by faith in troubled times? And, and we're going to be turning to the book of Habakkuk to help us with that over the next five weeks. And, you know, I'm sure you are completely familiar with the contents of Habakkuk. Um, I don't know, maybe some of you are wondering if there is even a book called Habakkuk in the Bible. Well, there is. And uh, by the end of these five weeks, you'll be very, very familiar with it. And um, today I'm particularly looking at the question, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God do something? And I'm sure that's a question which has been um, asked many times in, in, in recent times. So there was an article in the Bucks Free Press uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, For anyone who's listening from further afield, the Bucks Free Press is our local newspaper. And it was an article that was written by one of our church members, Sandra Carter. Thank you, Sandra, for, for writing it. And it was about how churches, and in particular our church, King's Church High Wycombe, how we are facing the challenge, how we're dealing with the challenge of not being able to meet together physically. And um, at the top of the article, and this is what went out on, on online and on social media, there was this photograph of, of me and my wife, Suzanne. And, um, and to be honest, I, I think we look pretty good. Um, now, obviously, I'm having to, to cope with the demands of fame. I'm extraordinarily famous now. Requests for photo shoots, book deals, uh, opinions. You know, once you've made it into the Bucks Free Press, that is a game changer. Anyway, someone, uh, someone put an, a comment on the article, someone uh, going by the name of Nobby Knob. Uh, and the comment said this, God isn't being very nice at the moment. Have a word. And um, I, I thought that was quite an amusing comment. But actually, it probably reflects in, in very polite terms, it probably reflects what a lot of people think, Christians and non-Christians, when considering God or faith in the light of suffering, in, in times of crisis, in dark times, where is God? Where is God in this? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he just stop this virus spreading? If he's good, if he's powerful, why doesn't he just put a stop to it? How can you believe in a God that would allow something like this to happen? And of course, these are not new questions. That doesn't, not to say that they're not valid questions, but they're not new questions. These are questions that have been asked down through the ages for as long as there's been suffering in the world, which is pretty much from the beginning. And they're exactly the kind of questions that are being asked in Habakkuk chapter one. Uh, So if you have a Bible, let's turn there now. Let's turn to Habakkuk chapter one. Now, that's easy for you if you've got a Bible Bible app on your phone. If you've got a paper Bible, you've got a choice ahead of you right now. You can you can use the the, the flick method and, and hope that you come across Habakkuk at the top of the page so you can open your Bible and, you know, make it look like, you know, your Bible a lot better than you actually do. Or you can surreptitiously just look at the uh, contents page and make your way there and just embrace your limitations. I'm very fortunate I have a a bookmark which I've already put in there, so I'm okay. Uh, So let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Now just something on the book of Habakkuk as a whole. It's only three chapters long. It's quite a short book. And it's structured as a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk. We we don't know much about Habakkuk, but we know he's a prophet. And it's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. So Habakkuk asks God a question and then God responds. Habakkuk follows that up with his own response and further questions. And that that all comes in chapter one. 
And then God responds again. And that's in chapter two. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. And then Habakkuk concludes in chapter three in the form of a psalm. He is a a sung prayer. So that's a broad overview of Habakkuk. But we're going to be looking at chapter one today or parts of chapter one for the for the sake of time. And I want us to look at three things. First, how does Habakkuk approach God? And what can we learn from that? How does Habakkuk approach God? Second is what God says to Habakkuk. And then third is what it all means. So how does Habakkuk approach God? What God says, what it all means. So first of all, how does Habakkuk approach God? What are the questions that he's asking God? So let's read verses two to four. Uh, Now, this is Habakkuk speaking to God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. These are pretty strong words from Habakkuk. He's looking at his society in Judah, the society that surrounds him. And and it's not good. It's 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 falling to pieces. It's crumbling. It's dark. He, He sees violence. He sees injustice. He sees Bad things happening to good people. And he says good things happening to bad people. I mean, does this sound familiar at all? It could be exactly how we look at our society today. And in Habakkuk's mind, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what God has said about Judah. This is not how it's supposed to be. And so he comes to God and he asks those age old questions. What is going on? What is this about? How can you tolerate this, God? How long are you going to let this continue? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing something? Why why don't you just intervene? And so you can see Habakkuk is in anguish here. He's he's looking around at everything that's wrong with society and it and it grieves him. He's in anguish and he is wrestling with doubts and conflicting thoughts about God. And and he's challenging God. He's he's questioning God. He's asking very honest and very bold questions to God. And actually, he even gets a bit bolder following God's response. And we're going to look specifically at an aspect of what God said to Habakkuk in in a little while. But basically, God's reply to him is that things are going to get even worse because he's going to raise up and send the bloodthirsty and brutal Babylonians to conquer Judah. And it's not going to be good. He's effectively answering Habakkuk's question about violence and oppression and injustice by saying, well, I'm going to send more violence and more oppression as a judgment on Judah from a people who are far more unjust and far more violent than the injustice and the violence that you're complaining about right now. Wow. And in verse 12, following God's response, Habakkuk says, oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? And that's another way of saying, are you not infinite or infinitely powerful? And this is being asked as a rhetorical question. And and we know a rhetorical question it's not meant to be answered. It's designed to make a point. Like when a, a parent addresses their children with the question, what am I, your slave? And you know that is a question that's not designed to be answered in the moment. It'd be very unwise of the children to try and answer it in the moment. It's to make the point that you need to pull your weight. This is not a hotel. 
Not that that's happened at all in our house over these last four weeks. Um, but this, this rhetorical question from Habakkuk, are you not from everlasting? Are you not infinite? It has an accusing tone to it that at best is, is reminding God of who he is, reminding him of his character. But at worst, it's, it's really saying, I, I thought you were infinite, but, but maybe you're not. I mean, either way, it's a, it's a bold thing to say to God. It's probably a very unwise thing to say to God, but you know, it's pretty irreverent. It, it's bordering on insulting. But he's challenging God in the, the boldest possible way. But here's the thing that I want us to notice about how Habakkuk approaches God, because even in the boldness, even in the anguish and the challenging and the questioning of God, it is never, ever an option for Habakkuk to abandon God, to, to walk away from God, to stop following and obeying God. It's just not an option for him. He, he's wrestling with all sorts of questions and all sorts of doubts and lack of understanding, but he is wrestling faithfully. He's wrestling in a faithful way. First of all, because he's coming to God in prayer. He's, he's talking to God. He's not talking to everyone else about this. He's not blogging about this. He's praying. He's, he's coming directly to God. And there is that subtle distinction between faithful and unfaithful protest and, and wrestling. The faithful protest addresses God. How, how could you, how could you, knowing what I know of you, how could you allow this to happen? Whereas the unfaithful protest is, it's more impersonal, it's more abstract, and it's addressed to others, it's addressed to anyone who will listen. How could God allow this? Not, not how could you allow this, but how could God allow this? You know, what, what sort of a God does this? But Habakkuk, doesn't do that. He goes to God. He brings his questions to God. And we also see throughout, he continues to address God as Lord. He is still Lord. And in verse 12, just after practically insulting God, he says, my God, my holy one, my holy one. He, he's wrestling, he's questioning, but he is doing it faithfully. How do you approach God in difficult circumstances? And I guess there are two extremes here, that there's the hyper-religious idea that, well, you should never question God, never, ever question God. Your, your prayer should always be polite. You should be using the right words, saying the right things. The big problem with that, of course, is that it's fundamentally dishonest. And God knows it's dishonest because he can see what's in your heart. He knows exactly what's in your heart. He sees through the words to what is actually going on inside. It's a bit like when you ask somebody how they are and, and they say, fine. And you think, well, clearly that's not telling the truth. Um, now, it, it got, God wants, I think God wants us to be honest with him. And don't get me wrong here. We, we should speak to God with reverence. We, we should speak to him with reverence. We should remember, we have to remember who he is and who we are, that he is the creator, the awesome, all-powerful, almighty creator of the universe. And we are creatures formed from the dust. We have to remember who he is and who we are. So we speak with reverence, but that reverence shouldn't be fake reverence. You know, it shouldn't just be meaningless platitudes and, and niceties. No, it's a reverence that comes out of a knowledge of God. It's a reverence that comes from a relationship with God. And the fact is that God has preserved prayers like this in the Bible, these, these prayers we see from Habakkuk. He's preserved these prayers in the Bible, along with many others in the Psalms, in Job, in, in Jeremiah. You've got Abraham in Genesis who says, far be it from you, far be it from you to do, to act like this, to do anything wrong. I mean, I mean, it's a really bold way 
of speaking to God, to the creator of the universe. But God doesn't want meaningless platitudes from us. He, he wants us to have honest conversation with him. So there's that one extreme of never question God, never, ever question God. Then the other extreme is is where and, and I guess this this would be very typical of the Western world today. But where we are so confident of our own human reason and and perception, we're so confident of our ability to to know and see everything and know the reason behind everything. That when we see suffering and evil and darkness, we say, well, I don't see why God would allow this. And so I'm not going to believe in him. I'm going to abandon belief in God, which ironically actually removes the, the basis you have for any objective morality in the first place. But that, that's, a, that's another argument. So there's these two extremes. Never question God abandon faith in God. Habakkuk doesn't go down either of those lines. He does neither of those things. He is honest. He is brutally honest with God. He questions God, but he would never think of abandoning God. He calls him my holy one, my holy one. It's, it's almost like he's saying, you know, I wouldn't be as upset as I am about this if I didn't think that you were holy, but, but I know that you are. Or I wouldn't be as upset about this as I am if, if I didn't think I could, could walk away. But I know I can't. Because if I can't figure out life with you, how on earth am I going to figure out life without you? Habakkuk's protest to God, his questioning, his wrestling, they're done out of this fundamental conviction that God is good all the time. God is just all the time, even in times of disaster. So he wrestles with God, but he wrestles faithfully. And, you know, it's really an example of God's grace that he allows prayer like this. Habakkuk clearly understands something of the grace of God, that he has granted the freedom to ask questions. He has the kind of relationship with God that allows questions, but also the knowledge that the world makes no sense without God. It's not an option for him to walk away from God. How do you approach God in times of confusion and darkness and suffering. It's okay to wrestle with him. It's okay to ask questions, but do it faithfully and do it with humility. Now, I just want to look at part of what God said to Habakkuk. So in verse five, in, in response to Habakkuk's questions, you know, how long are you going to let this carry on? Why don't you do something about all the violence and the injustice? Why don't you intervene and, and, and just put things right? Well, God starts his response to Habakkuk in verse five by saying this. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. You know, he's saying, get, get your eyes out of your own bubble and, and look a bit wider. Open your eyes wider. Look further afield. But then he says, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And really, God is saying, you're not going to get this. You're not going to understand this. You're not going to get it. But here is how I'm going to work my salvation in the world and how I'm going to bring justice and peace to the world. And I don't know what kind of response Habakkuk is expecting, whether he's expecting God to say, yeah, I hear you. And I'm going to wipe out all those bad people that you're talking about. And by the way, thank you for for bringing this situation to my attention. But what is the answer that he actually gets? Well, God says in verse six, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. 
And he goes on to describe just how terrible and how violent they are in the in the rest of his response. So this is the thing that you would not believe, even if you were told, I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And, um, you know, so from Habakkuk's point of view, Habakkuk is is probably thinking, so hang on. Your means of dealing with the violence and the injustice, the oppression that I see is to raise up a people who are even more violent and even more unjust. I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, there's, there's quite a comical edge to, to this dialogue. Habakkuk's kind of like, you know, God, answer my questions. Why won't you answer? I need an answer from you. And God's saying, well, okay, but you're not going to get it. No, but tell me, tell me the answer. Well, okay, here is what I'm going to do. But I don't get it. No, and you're not going to get it. And that's what God told him. You know, I'm going to do something in your days that that you would not believe even if, if you, even if you were told. That's what God said to him. And why would he get it? And why would any of us get it in any situation we face in life when we don't know the mind of God? We don't see the bigger picture that God sees. You know, God stands outside of time and space. God, we're told that God knows the beginning from the end. He sees the whole thing. He sees the big picture and we simply don't have his perspective. We don't see the big picture in that way. And so hopefully you can see the, the massive great flaw in the thinking that says that just because I can't see a good reason for why this is happening, then therefore there can't be a good reason. Yeah, I mean, that, that puts you in the place of God, that kind of thinking that you are all seeing and all knowing. And hey, maybe you think that you are. But I tell you, you'll get a shock when you come face to face with God. If you have young children or you know any young children, you'll know that there are times when they get frustrated and uh, and they scream. You know, a five year old child or a three year old child, whatever it is, they get frustrated and they scream because they're not being allowed to do what they want to do. And, you know, they, they don't understand why you as the parent are, are stopping them. And you're saying, look, darling, no, you can't stick your finger in the plug socket because you will die. But they don't understand that. They don't really grasp that. And so they scream and they, and they have a tantrum. And as the parent, of course, you understand that. And you say to them, well, look, you just have to trust me because I love you. I want the best for you. I don't want you to die. So you just have to trust me because I love you, you know, and then five, 10 minutes later, when they're still screaming and saying, shut up. Um, that's straight from John's book of parenting, by the way, you can, you get that one for free. Um, but it's a little bit like when, when people say, well, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so I won't believe in him. I'm not going to believe in him. It's not always meant to make sense and it's not always going to make sense. And that's what God tells Habakkuk. You're not going to get this. And Habakkuk doesn't get it. But as the book goes on, actually, what we see is Habakkuk expressing his trust in God. You know, even though this makes no sense to me and I really don't like it at all. I do trust you, God. I trust you. And I trust that this is ultimately in your sovereignty going to lead to salvation and justice for the world, even if I can't see how that could possibly happen. Because actually the, 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 the chasm, the distance between your mind and God's mind is far greater, it's infinitely greater than the distance between a two-year-old's mind and the parent's mind. Do you really expect to be able to understand everything that God does and everything that God says or, or, or everything that God doesn't do? Do you really expect to understand all of it? To claim that God has to make sense, it makes no sense in itself. It's, it's a nonsensical claim. 
Okay, so finally, what does all this mean? What does it mean? Well, the Apostle Paul sheds some light on this in Acts chapter 13. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from there, verses 38 to 41. So this is what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And and here's the, the key part that relates to what we're talking about today. He says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He's quoting Habakkuk 1 verse 5 that we've just been looking at, and he's clearly linking that to Jesus. That what God said to Habakkuk about working justice and salvation, about doing something in your days that you would never believe, the principle of God bringing light out of darkness, bringing salvation out of oppression, out of injustice, that principle finds its ultimate expression in Jesus. In Jesus, who suffered the ultimate and absolute injustice by taking the punishment and the judgment that we deserve. He did nothing wrong. He took the judgment that we deserve. Habakkuk is effectively asking God, how can you, being holy, How can you have anything to do with injustice? How can you use injustice? How can you bring salvation out of a situation of injustice by using injustice? How can that happen if you are holy? How does that work? But the answer to that question is finally explained on the cross. It's precisely because he is holy, because he he can't just forgive us, because sin does have to be paid for, for there to be justice, because he is a just God. It's precisely because of all those things, because of his holiness, that he experiences judgment and injustice on the cross in paying our penalty. It's the ultimate example of bringing salvation out of injustice and judgment, of bringing light out of darkness and bringing redemption out of suffering and and evil. He went through the, the most horrific suffering. He went through the ultimate suffering himself for you, for you. So if you are going through suffering in your life right now, or or we see suffering in someone else's life, you know, I may not be able to answer the why question. Why is this happening? And, And to be honest, I wouldn't even try to if you were going through something terrible. But I can rule out one reason for it. I do know that it's not because he doesn't love you. He went to the cross for you. And what greater demonstration of love could there be than that going to the cross? He entered into our suffering. He knows suffering. He he knows what you're going through. So you can never doubt his love for you in, in any circumstances, whatever it might be that you're going through. You can't doubt the love of God for you. And, you know, the Bible's full of examples of um, good arising from bad situations. But the people in those situations couldn't see it at the time. So the story of Joseph, for example, is probably a very familiar story for lots of us uh, in the book of Genesis, West End show as well. But, but Joseph must have had many, many moments of utter despair in his story, in those years of misery and injustice that he had to endure. But he was able to look back at the end of his life and see that God used it for good. 
or in, in the early church, the, the persecution of the early church that we read about in the book of Acts. You know, that can't have seemed like a very good thing at the time. People being killed for their faith in Jesus, murdered for believing in Jesus. And that's still happening in parts of the world today. But actually, it resulted in people being scattered and the church being planted and established all over the world. But of course, the biggest one is the cross. Because people would have been looking at Jesus on the cross. His followers would have been there looking on and thinking, yeah, this is the end of the world. It's, it's over. I don't see what good God could ever possibly bring out of this. We're done. It's finished. Because they just didn't get it at the time. Even though Jesus had told them, Jesus had explained it to them, they just didn't get it. But actually, this unfolding disaster, this terrible event, actually turned out to be the ultimate good in the world that brought uh, the offer of salvation to everybody who accepts it and receives it. It was the ultimate good was was brought about at the cross, at the greatest injustice in history. See, we can look at the times that we're going through right now, and maybe we don't understand what, what could God possibly be doing in this situation? What is God doing in all this? Why doesn't he just put a stop to it? But instead of answering that question, actually, God invites you to look at the cross. He invites you to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the perfect and ultimate Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk was confused. He was upset. He, he was wrestling. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And yet he's faithful. He remains faithful through it all. And we see Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is wrestling with with his heavenly father. He's saying, Father, if there is any other way, if there's any way of this suffering passing from me, if there's any other way of doing this. But he also says, not my will, but yours be done. He's wrestling, but he's wrestling faithfully. He's wrestling. Jesus is wrestling in complete submission to his father in heaven. And then on the cross, Jesus cries out to God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? And God really was gone. He really was gone in that moment. Jesus was truly abandoned on the cross. You know, we might, we might say to God sometimes, where are you? Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? But it's not real abandonment. He hasn't actually abandoned you. Even if it feels like he has, he is still working. He's still doing you good. He's still sustaining you, even if you can't see it. He's still working for your good in spite of our lack of understanding and our accusations towards him. He is still faithful. Well, why is that so? And and how can we know it? How can we be sure of that? Well, because on the cross, Jesus was really abandoned. He was truly abandoned. He got the abandonment that we deserve so that you are never abandoned, even when you feel like you are. Jesus bore the weight of your sin. He bore the weight of my sin, the the weight of the sin of the world. And he was faithful through all of it. He was faithful. He stuck with it through dark and evil and unjust times for you. He stuck with it so that when you find yourself in dark and evil and unjust times, you can say, if you know him, you can say with confidence, I know, I know that God is working in this somehow. I don't understand it. I don't know what he's doing, but I know he's working in this somehow for my good. I know he loves me. I know that this world makes no sense without God. And so I will remain faithful to him and I'll bring my questions to him and wrestle these things through with him. 
The death and resurrection of Jesus means that, yes, bad things can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. But there is a reason. There is a reason for everything. And one day you might know what it is. But until then, God is saying, just trust me. Trust me. I want the best for you. Believe in me. Look to me. Find your strength. Find your comfort in me. Trust in me. Trust in me. So do you. Do you? Do you trust God? I just want us to take a few moments now to get before God, to speak to him, to respond to him. Just a few moments to get toward, to get before God. So it might be that, yeah, you absolutely do trust God. Well, then tell him again. Take the opportunity to tell him again. I trust you, Lord. I trust you and thank you that you're always working for my good. But it might be that you've been really struggling with this. You've been wrestling with all sorts of doubts and, and questions. Well, take the questions to God. Talk to him. Talk to him honestly, but also tell him, Lord, I trust you. I do trust you. Even in all my questions, I trust you. Thank you that you demonstrated your love for me on the cross. Thank you. You demonstrated your trustworthiness on the cross. Help me to know your peace in this storm. And maybe you don't know God in that way at all. Maybe you don't have that kind of relationship with God. You've never known what it is to to, to follow Jesus, but he's calling your name today. Maybe he's calling your name and inviting you to know him and you want to know him. He's offering you salvation today and you want to grab hold of that with both hands. So just speak to him now if that's you. Just speak to him now. Respond to him. Invite him to speak to you. Invite him to come into your life. Invite him to be Lord of your life. Submit your life to him. Surrender to him. He will change your life. Just speak to him now. So let's spend a few moments now getting before God, speaking to him, responding to him, and then we'll worship him together.